while it doesn't feel natural right now, know that for your viewer, it does feel natural. And that's the most important thing. You can acquire the skill set for this to feel natural. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I'm going to just focus on the camera here. I, I love it. I love when I get schooled and I say this in a playful way. Like I love when I get schooled on things so that I can learn and improve and grow. Welcome back to A Sharper Life. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp. And today we have the most incredible interview for you. I just got off with Lynn Smith and I am sitting here so pumped up, so jazzed. I personally learned so many things about how to improve my own confidence when it comes to Zoom calls, Zoom meetings, business meetings, speaking, I mean, oh my gosh. So let me just tell you a little bit about Lynn. So Lynn Smith is a well-known American journalist and news anchor. She is best known for her work as an anchor on HLN and a correspondent for CNN. Lynn has reported on some of the most significant events in recent history, including the 9-11 attacks, the Iraq war, Hurricane Katrina, the Boston Marathon bombing, to which she also won an Emmy for her coverage. Now, in addition to all of this, as if Lynn wasn't already amazing enough, she is also a dedicated advocate for mental health awareness. She has spoken publicly about her own struggles with anxiety and panic attacks and has worked to raise awareness around mental health issues and reduce the stigma surrounding it. Now, here is what you're going to learn by listening to this interview. And I'm just going to give you a heads up now. You're going to want to listen to the very last second because Lynn is giving you an incredible offer. Honestly, such an incredible offer that she will tell you all about. And I'm already letting you know you're going to want to take her up on this. But she is sharing all about media training and how it applies to your everyday life. So you are going to learn how to blow people away in a business meeting, how to nail your next Zoom call. And even I learned a little tip that I didn't know before. She is giving so many tips on improving your confidence. We are talking about the power of clothes and how it is the quickest fix to changing your life. She talks about fears, the importance of understanding that we all have a fear of failure and that when you actually name your fears, it will become the greatest catalyst to positive change in your life. This interview, honestly, I can't get over how incredible it was. Lynn is a goddess, a former TV anchor, and she is giving you all of her tips on how to become the most confident, radiant version of yourself. And without further ado, here is Lynn Smith on A Sharper Life. Well, Lynn, I am so thrilled to have you here. And I'd actually like to start off with your career in the media as a journalist and a news anchor. And you were frequently reporting on tragedies like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, and yet you were actually known to bring tremendous hope to audience as they watched you. So I'd love to know more about your desire to help others stay positive during their hardest times. Yeah, I think I learned on the fly how important that was when I covered the Japan tsunami. And I was the overnight anchor for MSNBC. And of course, it happened in the middle of the night. Um, and one of the things about being an overnight anchor is you have the opportunity um, to cover the biggest stories that are out there when, you know, 
Brian Williams isn't in the office. And so I was sitting there and we did not know what was about to come. And we watched it unravel on live television. And I realized the enormity of the moment and how important it was for those people that were watching at home because we had an international audience, how important it was to have someone hold their hand to process what we were witnessing. And it happened again and again in my career, whether it was the Aurora Theater shooting, the Pulse nightclub shooting. It was just this great responsibility I felt that these these people at home were trying to make sense of it, but also try and see the slivers of hope that were always within those stories. So the perfect example with the Pulse nightclub shooting is after six hours of live reporting on it, and oftentimes in these early morning hours, you don't have anyone to go to at a lot of times. So you're just talking. And at the end of it, they said to me in my ear, these are the producers, they said, we're going to take a shot, an aerial shot of, I still get the chills thinking about it, of the Red Cross station where people are lined up to donate blood to the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting. And they took this shot and it was so powerful because it was, I wasn't even expecting it. It was just miles of people. And I just ended the show explaining, even in our greatest tragedies, we come together and we are, you know, in this moment, we see this come to life. And it was just, you know, for me, what I really loved about that career was being able to paint that picture for people. And and it's so nice of you to say that that was something that you picked up because it was something that I really cared truly about as an anchor. I mean, I just got goosebumps as you were talking about that. It's so true. I feel like in we have access to media at our fingertips 24 hours a day, what feels like 72 hours a day, really, of all of the negative news and people, Mm -hmm. you know, bad comments and things of that and shooting after shooting. And yet I do see that when there are tragedies, people really do come together and it, it gives you a sense of hope. But I actually want to know, I interviewed another woman, Hillary Russo, who was also a a news anchor. And she said that she experienced secondary trauma when she was talking about 9-11 and, you know, being the anchor for everyone else and giving them support and hope. Did you experience anything like that as like, because you have to hold it together on live news that's broadcast everywhere? Yeah, we actually, um, I think, acquire different, and every anchor is different, different um, routines to try and have some of those things not impact us as much. Like there would be times after really, really horrible stories that I would visualize as I'm taking a shower, just like the information coming off of me. And I know that sounds strange, but you have to. When every single day you're walking in and you're seeing Like we see the video that we have to blur out for people at home because it's so disturbing, but we see it. And and it's a, it's something to think about because I think a lot of people, they they are hard on the media and they're in, and in some cases for very good reasons, the media, you know, is, is in sometimes not thinking about their responsibility to the viewer when it comes to information. But they're also people that I think have gone through so much in this secondary way. And when now I've been out of the news almost two years now, people are surprised, but I don't, I can't watch the news. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people, I think that it's because I watch when my clients are on, but I think it's because there's a lot of just feeling when I, I'm watching a breaking news story, I'm like, I have to turn this off. 
I have to. It's just, um, you know, it's too upsetting. Yeah, I I really can imagine that and that it, it does leave a subconscious imprint on mm-hmm. you. And, and I do acknowledge that you're able to turn it off. I think so many people get caught up in the loop loop of negativity and then focus on it and think the world is this horrible, bad place. And it's like, well, it is if you pay attention to only those news stories, right? right? So as a leading anchor and journalist, you had an incredible career. And you know, in the bio, I mentioned all of the incredible things that you've done, but you took a leap of faith to leave this career that was lucrative, successful. And how did you overcome the inevitable fear, I'm sure, that comes up when ending something of that magnitude? And what are some tips you have for people as they're making transitions in their life? Yeah, I talk about this so much in my business because I now help people to overcome their fears, right? It's scary to go on television. It's scary to go on camera. I'm afraid of all the the things that might happen, like I'm going to freeze or I'm going to get too anxious. And I tell the story of, you know, my skill set was actually the exact opposite. I always was was comfortable with the camera, but put me in a group of, you know, 100 people and I have to present or public speak. My knees start to shake. My voice starts to shake. And everyone's surprised by that because they expected me to be very good at it. And when I first began my, my business, I had this public speaking event. And I now write about that in my book, Confidence Quotient, that I had a panic attack in the middle of it. And I couldn't talk and I had to stop and say, I am so sorry, I am failing at this. And you all think I should be good at this. I'm going to pivot. Just let's do a q and I threw away the PowerPoint and I was like, let's just do a Q&A. And I got through it. But because that happened to me, it informed almost everything else I did in my business. And I tell people now, like what you are most afraid of, the worst case happening, which was having a panic attack in the middle of a public speaking event, (laughs) it happened to me. Your worst fear oftentimes informs and blooms this amazing outcome. We don't know why it happens until we're, we're out of the woods of the pain of it. And so now I look at fear and I say, oh my gosh, this is great. If I'm afraid of it, then this is probably the right thing I should be doing. At the time, I just sat in it. So if you are in a a situation where fear is what's stopping you from doing the thing, you know, I, I ask you to sort of look at what it was that I was in and then where I am now, right? So I was in that successful career, but I wasn't fulfilled. So it looks all shiny on, you know, the TV, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled or feeling like I made an impact. And because I could sit in that fear and embrace it in and look at it as actually a good thing. It then allowed me to live the life that I want to live. And that's what I love about your podcast is sort of you're looking to show people ways that they can live that life that they want to live, right? Like that's the key. And so when when you are in those moments of a fear of failure, a fear of uncertainty, get excited by it because it means something good is on the other end if you just keep pushing through it. Oh my gosh, I I love it and you're so you're so right. And my my goodness, it reminds me of I'm totally blanking. Dan Harris, there we go. The mm-hmm. happy Dan Harris. Yeah, yes. like he he did had that same thing At but ABC. But then mm-hmm. what happened with him and it sounds like similar to you 
is it ended up becoming the catalyst for the greatest change that he and you and I have ever experienced to then living a life of purpose and fulfillment. And so tell me then what, because I also understand very much of like the glitz and the glam. I had magazine covers. I was doing TV for my second book and I was, I was depressed. I was miserable behind the scenes and I gave it all up, sold everything, moved to Paris to literally like go be lonely and find myself. And greatest, hardest decision, well, one of the many hard, hard decisions, but what was it about being such a well-respected anchor journalist that you didn't feel fulfilled by? And how did you then figure out what it was that you wanted to do, which is I'd love for you to share what you're doing now. I wasn't feeling like I was the mom I wanted to be. You know, as a working mom, you know, you always have people tell you, they're watching you succeed and it's good for them to see their mom succeed and da, da 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 da. But I thought to myself, like, am I doing what it is that I'm wanting them to be proud of me for, you know? And the media had just changed so dramatically. And I felt more like a problem than a solution, talking about things that didn't always allow me to find the bright spot in it, even though in my show on the story, I had, I ended the show with the bright spot because it was something that I felt so strongly about. I was like, you guys, this is really heavy. Let's end the show on interviewing somebody that's doing something great. Um, I just didn't feel like there was enough of that. And so when I decided I wanted to pivot, I wanted what I do to be able to be something I could be really proud of. And so I began coaching individuals, helping them to share their unique story, embrace their unique story, overcome those fears, and then do the thing. And that thing for many people were media appearances. And so in addition to media training them, I booked them in, in media appearances. But it was so fulfilling to me to see the beginning and the transformation to that end where they were like, I get it. I, I get to be myself and I get how to do that. And I just thought to myself, like, this is where it's at. You know, <laughs> like this is this is what you should feel like when you're doing work that matters to you. It it should have this feeling. You know, you can't put words to that joy that you get when you see somebody really embrace something new and they they're better for it. And so for me now being able to be home in the morning and pack my kids lunch and drive them to school and have a career that I feel fulfilled at and go to my son's soccer game today at four o'clock is great. <laughs> I couldn't do that as a news anchor. I mean, okay. I'm going to go like quote unquote off script here, just in the Good. sense of the best moments. <laughs> I'm someone who I want to start a family. I'm newly wed. We got married six ish something I'm monthly. Like, your Instagram is like the most gorgeous thing ever. I was like, look at these two gorgeous people. So yes, go have beautiful babies. Thank you. Well, and it's interesting because you know we're both in really like the crux of crux of our career, and I feel like I'm on that tipping point of like my biggest dreams are. I feel like they're tangible, like I can see them. I'm not yet there, and the same with him. And I know things will will get busier, and we are in our 30s in that time where you are building, and so. I have a fear. And I actually have talked about this on another podcast. Like I have a fear and a questioning of like, I, I want to be a mom, but then I'm like, D I don't know, do I? Because I really like my career is my baby. My clients are my, my soul family. And I get scared to not like for me, I, it's not about getting scared to bring a child into the world we live in today. It's always going to be changing. I feel scared based on what you just said that I don't know if I could be the best mother possible because 
I don't know that balance. So I would love to, I guess, hear what you like your tips or anything to do with like women in business who like I'm passionate, but like I'm fucking terrified of having a family uh-huh. too. Yeah. I'm terrified and I'm already a mom. I'm like, wait, so so this, this just keeps going, huh? Like it never gets easier, huh? I mean, it is such an incredibly personal decision for families to make. And I think that it's beautiful that now it's more socially acceptable than ever to be child-free by choice. I think it's so wonderful that there are women that are saying, I don't know that this is for me and that's okay. I think for anyone that does choose that it is what is is important to them, that it's a quote that somebody told me that I am constantly reaffirming in my own career. It's that you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. Mm. And there's just a reality to that, that there's always going to be somebody that doesn't get everything from you, if your partner, your children, your work, and then all the other things in place. And so as a working mom, what I do is I set up my needs, wants, and can'ts buckets, right? Like there are the needs buckets that have to happen. My children have to have their mom and they have to have time with their mom. You know, my husband needs date nights with me. Like I, all of those things need to happen. Work, I need to fulfill my clients requests. The wants are things that I do want to do, but they're not always going to happen. You know, I want more girls dinners. It's not going to happen sometimes in this season of life. And then there are the can'ts. And that can'ts bucket is maybe the more important one because as women, I, it's so hard for us to say no. I don't know if you're this way. I'm a people pleaser. I want to be that for everyone. And you just can't. No, I can't head up this committee for the school. No, I can't host something because I don't have the bandwidth. And it's helped me so much. Um, Would I say if I didn't have children, my career would look different? I'd like to say no. I think that I'm everywhere I wanted to be in my career and doing what I want in my career and have my children. And I think it's possible it's just, there's always going to be a limit to your bandwidth and you can't create more time. Um, and there's nothing in that bucket that's more important than my family bucket and the kids. And so no matter how much money or accolades or titles or appearances that I make, it's um, that the bucket's always going to trump it. And so I think that the best decision that one can make for themselves is what is that bucket? What does that bucket look like? What do you want it to look like? And then fill that one and focus on that one. And it's okay if it doesn't involve having a family. I think we're seeing how many people are choosing to not make that choice for themselves. Mm, I I love the the three buckets and especially the the can't bucket because I think so often and I see this with clients it's like I want to focus on joy and positivity and all of the things and it's like but we do have to figure out and deal with those more negative emotions or the and it sounds like the can't bucket is probably closely tied to your fears is what I mm. what I I would see in my own life What's your recommendation for someone figuring out that can't bucket? Like, is it based on their values or is it based on their time or looking into themselves of like, hey, I am a people pleaser and maybe I shouldn't be doing this? How do you how do you help people with that specific bucket? Yeah, I think so much of this comes from the gut. 
and it comes from what you can trust. So, you know, I'm seeing this as my business transforms and I go into partnerships and, and I build relationships and I'm seeing, and, and some of it, you just have to trust because there's no guarantee that something's going to work out. And that piece of trust and, and somebody said something to me recently and it really stuck with me. It's like, if someone doesn't trust you, then they shouldn't be trusted. And it's, it's such a good point. It's like, if you don't have that piece in a relationship, it means that the person that's not trusting is the one that is the issue. And so I've looked at every decision that I've made, whether it be personally or professionally, and what does my gut really tell me? And then just do it. Like you have to, at some point, and I tell people this when it comes to media appearances, look at it like a bungee jump. You've done all the preparation in your career for this cord. The cord is your, your knowledge, right? You've done all the work. It's hooked up. It's twisted and tight. And at this, the point of the media appearance, you just have to jump and know that that cord's going to catch you. And that's when you let go and it all just comes out organically. And I don't know if you believe in all of the power of energy and the universe and things like that. But I had a client that was an energy expert and I learned so much of the power of that mindset and manifestation and what you put out there is what you get. And so my biggest piece of advice is lean into that, trust that gut and trust your choices and let them happen because you've gone that far. It's worked for me at this point. Talk to me in a few years and they'll be like, hey, what I said about that, maybe I wasn't spot on. Oh, um, I, I think that you're going to be even more, con, you know, have conviction in that. And I I so agree. It's it's lean into the uncomfortableness, yes. lean into the fear. The only way through fear is literally to move through it. And like, I remember my, my very first TV appearance I was going on Access Hollywood, met the producer, lied, told them, oh, yeah, of course, I've done TV before, sure. And then they told me that I needed to, I was uh, for my detox. And so they were like, well, you need to you know, prepare all the food and set up the table yourself. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought they do. Okay, okay, fine. And so I'm like scrambling and then they're like, okay, you need to have this is this. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then I had Billy Bush and... Um, I can't, I forget her last name. And, and then the producer was literally like the second before we go live was like, so you need to be the one that's basically leading them. They're the host, but you're <laughs> actually kind of being the host. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like as my it very, is so not glamorous. <laughs> it's it is, so like it is, seeing the sausage made. It is no, so not it what is so not, but I remember I came off of it. And for me at least, and, and I want to talk about this of like tapping into I don't want to say your comfort zone, but your maybe a zone of genius or a zone of something. Because like when the lights, camera, action happen, I just channeled. I like I almost don't even remember it. Put me on a YouTube video. I suck because I I have the opportunity to take you know take over take. But like live TV and like live podcasts, it's I'm I'm amazing at. And so I'm curious to know for you, like how does when you're working with clients or you're helping them get media training, how do you help them figure out, you know, maybe they are better at stage in front of a thousand people or a hundred, or maybe they are better at doing the PowerPoint presentation or the live cooking. How, what are some tips on finding that in you? 
So one of the things that holds people back from that zone of genius is what I call your brain bully. It's kind of that saboteur. It's that voice in your head that tells you, why would they want to hear from you, right? And that's where imposter syndrome comes from. It's that voice in our head that's saying like, what? you're really going to screw this up. I actually open every single one of my keynotes with, I have a confession to make. Every time I walk up on stage, I think to myself, why do they want to hear from me? <laughs> and everyone just sort of laughs and they're like, wow, yeah, I go through that all the time. And then I ask them, how many of you are afraid of failure? And almost every single hand goes up. And so it's that brain bully that is telling us a narrative that we actually have control over. And here's how we have control over it. First, I want you to name your brain bully. Mine is Bob because my son got a fish for Christmas and he named him Bob. And I thought that was hysterical, like how random to name your fish Bob. And so every time the brain bully comes in, which it still happens, even though I have the methodology to get over it, I, I'm like, oh, Bob. And then I just laugh and it helps me to release some of that. Your zone of genius that comes out on live TV is you being able to be unapologetic yourself because you're not letting that mind talk happen and naming it. And then also like sitting it down. I'll be like, Bob, sit down, watch this, sit down, watch this. I've done that before every single one of my keynotes. And it like releases the intense fear that I have that it's going to happen again that I'm going to have another panic attack in front of a group of like hundreds and hundreds of people. And it has worked a hundred percent of the time. Then I want you to think about failure differently. So our fear of failure, I feel comes from the fact that we need external validation. We need people to, and how many times has this happened? You've been on a media appearance and, and the second you get off, you want somebody to say, you did so you did great. So good. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone wants that validation. Well, what if we separated that and did not need that external validation? What if we understood that the validation was internal and we had it already? And therefore, we really were able to control so much more than what we imagined. Now, that fear of failure doesn't matter because if I do fail, which newsflash, you're gonna. Like it's impossible to not. And that's, it's actually exciting to fear failure because it's the easiest thing to fix. You're going to fail. It's, it's, it's just the law of life. <laughs> and so when it happens, being able to just keep going, as you see as my theme, yeah. just keep going as a mantra in my life and in my business, you will reach your success. And that's what's beautiful about it. So when you know internally that you have everything that you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish, you separate the external validation and, and really not need it anymore, and then walk into failure as if it's a great thing because it means you're one step closer to your success. That's your zone of brilliance. And that's when good things begin to happen for you. And if you just keep going, the success will happen. It will. That's what everyone will tell you who from Sarah Blakely, you know, <laughs> to President Obama, they all failed over and over and over again, but it was because they just kept going that they succeeded. Couldn't agree more. And it's it's so interesting because, you know, here you and I are in very different, like same, same, but different industries. And mm. at least the coaching we're doing is maybe directed slightly differently, but we're talking the same message about yes. understanding your fears, overcoming that. Like for me and when I, I work with clients, session two, I'm like, let's talk about your deepest fears. And we go through a full process 
and I love that you you have Bob. So I call it the Siamese twin, which is your ego mind, which is always trying to, and I, I call her the or him the Siamese twin because it's I I remember when I did this drawing. I'm like, it's a part of me. So I don't want to kill it. I, it's like never going to go away because it's actually helped me get to where I am. So I always imagine like another head coming out of my my neck there. And my Siamese twin is called It from Stephen King, the movie <laughs> It, because it. terrifying. And It, mm-hmm. my Siamese twin, right? Or like your Bob is, oh, it's always trying to tell me the things. And, and I've noticed more, like if I don't sleep well or I don't take care of myself, then her voice gets real loud and bitchy and witchy. And so I, I love that you're, we're teaching very similar things, just different names to it, but meaning and everyone listening, like it works. What we are talking about sure. literally works. And it is fortunately and unfortunately, you got to deal with the fears as they come up. Otherwise it's going to hold you back from doing everything you want in your life. And mm-hmm. I just, I love what you're saying. So Question on that then, um, in terms of personal branding, because you help people get media appearances and do media training, but I believe, especially since COVID, we can all use personal branding media training because we're all on Zoom calls or we're presenting or applying for a new job or finding a new relationship. And so what are your actionable tips to help the listeners increase their confidence when they're giving that talk or when they're asking for a raise? Yeah. So here's my um, sneaky way to connect to the camera. I want you to picture the face when you're looking into the lens of the person you feel most comfortable with. This is like, I call them your most trusted person, your MTP. And the MTP comes up all throughout my media training. In so many different ways do we utilize our MTP, but in this particular one, I want you to picture their face. And like you can see, I smile a little bit when I actually am like picturing the face of my MTP. And it's something that you are visualizing so that you can speak to that MTP. Like a lot of my clients have me as their MTP and they picture talking to me because after we go through all of this, we do mock interviews, they feel so comfortable that they just talk to me. And that's what the viewer at home wants. The viewer at home is either watching a newscast or they're watching you on Zoom. It's all the same. This form of communication applies, our media training applies to your social videos, your Zoom calls, your client calls, sales calls. All of it is the same because it's a form of communication that's most effective. And that's what we want in our business and our branding. We want our communication to be effective. The piece of that through the camera is being able to connect, right? So if, if you are looking into that lens, which feels so unnatural because you're not seeing the body language that you would see in a meeting, like me shaking my head or me smiling, that's the validation we're looking for externally again. I will remind people the external validation is which we have to release. And when you are picturing that person and you see how I lean into the camera when I do that, it is something that you at home can feel. And if you're listening to this, you know, or if you post this Nikki somewhere on social, watch this piece of the video and how different it feels that when I'm looking right down here and I can see you and I can see your validation and that's so great. But when I look into that lens and I'm really, truly feeling an emotion and picturing that emotion and picturing the person I'm comfortable with and talking directly to them, do you see how different that feels? hundred percent. It's a completely different even though the words can be the same, 
the connection is different. So practice that on your next Zoom call and see if your boss is like, what are you doing? Like, When did you all of a sudden start getting so comfortable on this camera? But it works. That's amazing. So then as you're talking about that, I I just literally, I've been doing this podcast for a year. And just now, one year later, I am wondering have I been doing it wrong? Because I'm looking at you in the screen here. So should I, but I think you're looking at the, I don't think you're actually looking at me. You're looking just at the camera. I am. I am. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. I love it. I'm learning something new. This is literally why I'm doing a sharper life is because there's so much that we can learn and grow from. And like, what, mm-hmm. what better way to do it in fun convert? Oh my God. And I keep looking at you. I'm like, okay, all right, this is it. From here on out, Lynn, I'm going to look at the <laughs> look camera. At, but do you see how different that feels for you that you're not seeing me? It feels and, and, weird. But, but when you put something on social yeah. media, which I'm going to like tag this right here, put this point on social media, see for the people watching it right now, how much different it feels for you, for Nikki and I to both be looking at you. It's like, we're talking to you. Right. And what I do is I put a television screen behind my camera. I have a, a professional camera that's, you know, makes so do you, but the TV screen's right behind it. So if I really do need to look at notes or I need to look at the person, I put them right above that TV screen. So I can be looking, but it still looks like I'm looking in the camera. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. It's sneaky, and and it? it's so sneaky. <laughs> and I'm sitting here. I'm I'm wondering actually what it is. It's not a fear that I have of like mm. looking down. It's I feel more connected to you when I'm looking at you. Mm. I feel less sure. connected when I'm looking at the camera, but I also fully understand that. It makes you or the viewer who's going to watch this on YouTube, because trust me, you're going to want to watch this. It feels, I mean, it's like anything. It feels weird when you first try it, but how interesting. And it's just so much more impactful for the viewer, which is what we think about, right? So every time I was you know, doing a morning show, I was thinking to myself, somebody's sitting at home like drinking coffee right now. Like I'm just talking to them. I mean, they want to feel like somebody's talking to them, not that you're just reading words off of glass, which is technically what I was doing. (laughs) I mean, I was reading words off glass and, you know, that was just a way for us to feel connected. So while it doesn't feel natural right now, know that for your viewer, it does feel natural. And that's the most important thing. And you can acquire the skill set for this to feel natural. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I'm going to just focus on the camera here. I I love it. I love when I get schooled and I say this in a playful way. Like I love when I get schooled on things so that I can learn and improve and grow. What other tips would you have then in terms of presenting? Let's say it's on live TV. And I realize that's very few people that do that, or you're giving a presentation in an office to your coworkers. Walk into that room with only three, max four takeaways. Write down one or two words on a post-it that would trigger one of those takeaways. This will give you the focus because no one can retain more than three takeaways. It'll give you the focus of whatever presentation, whatever media appearance you need to ensure that it's gonna be meaty for your audience, whether that's sitting at home or whether that's the boss that's considering you for 
a new job. But if you go into something with those meaty takeaways and you have it in just two words, I call them bridge phrases, two words that's going to trigger that takeaway and you have it just as a crutch. I'm always like, I have literally post-its everywhere. You just put it on a piece of paper. You are always walking with notes and you have it there as a crutch. And it's just, it will inform you and your presentation so much more. And it will give you that clarity that you need to have a really effective message. I love it. Okay. So three takeaways max and if needed, have a post. Four max. Four max. Uh, yes. Four max. Four max. But three is really three, what yeah. people can retain. But if you're like stuck and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I really, I think that this is going to be important. It can be in there, but never more than four because it's just never going to get that far. I mean, in an immediate appearance, you generally get about three or four questions. And I always, I always have people ask me like, what if you don't know the answer to the question? And that happens. Like I will say from an anchor's point of view, there've been many times where I've got a producer in my ear and they're like, Hey, we're going to commercial, but there was just this big car accident. So we're going to have an aerial view. And I just want you to describe it and tell people what happened. And then we'll go to commercial break. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of asking someone a question. And so I'm asking a question and it sort of comes out a little bit strange. And I've had people be like, I don't know if I understand the question, which is a big no, no, never make the anchor look bad. They will never have you back on because it's just not nice. And so what I tell people is you don't have to answer the question that was asked of you. Go to your bridge phrase. Just give them something valuable. That's all they want. And as long as it's valuable and it's presented in a compelling way, you're good. I guarantee you they'll be happy with it. <laughs> oh, it's so, so good. I, I love that. And, you know, it, I'd love to actually talk as well about media in general. Like there's so many people I understand that probably recognize that media is incredible for your brand. Mm-hmm. And I personally know the power of it, yet it does seem quite hard to get yourself on, like even featured in like a local magazine. And so for the, my fellow entrepreneurs that are listening, what for you do you like feel is the importance of the media coverage and how does one go about getting it? Let's say they're starting or they don't have an audience yet. Yep. So, um, one, it's the credibility and the validation. So if you're Googling somebody and you see that they've been seen on NBC or CNN, you're like, well, that's instant credibility because those news organizations isn't going to put someone on that is incredible. If you have never been on, you're like everybody else, right? There's no differentiator. There's a million people that do what I do, right? There's lots of media trainers. Um, but I put my validation of, Today Show, NBC, MSNBC, CNN Headline News, and that's a validation. The second piece of it is the SEO piece of it. And so I just posted something on my Instagram about this. You know, if you're on page two of Google, you don't exist. And so appearing in credible news outlets, you keep getting bumped up in the search. You know, if you Google Lynn Smith, which is the most generic name, like the third thing you see is my Us Weekly article about me leaving the news. And that's because of the credibility of that outlet and how far it bumps me up. I mean, it's before my website. And so that's the importance of the media. The problem, and and I and I hope I don't insult anyone out there in the PR industry because I've dealt with the PR industry getting pitched incessantly is the problem is the business has changed. And 
oftentimes PR agencies do not know how to take on clients that are pitchable and they don't know how to pitch to newsrooms. So newsrooms are not looking to promote books. They're not looking to put the new bra on their broadcast. They're not looking to like a cocktail. They want to get it publicity. That's not the goal of it. But if you find an interesting news peg, which is a story that everyone's going to be talking about anyway, and I'll give you an example. We got a request from Spectrum News this morning for an OBGYN about the Supreme Court ruling on an abortion bill. That's a news peg. They're talking about it. They want an expert to come on. They're not going to have this OBGYN that wants to talk about her new book. It's just not going to happen. And so what we do and why I wanted to do something a little disruptive of this is because everyone's unhappy with their $10,000 a month retainer <laughs> PR firm that gets them nothing, right? I mean, like, I feel you, like they pitch me and I feel bad. They're desperate, but it's not going to happen. So, you know, I, I went over to a company called TMX, which is the media exchange and the top 200 newsrooms in the country are using us for content already. And so I was just brought in to head up the division for experts. So we get requests for experts and then we do pitch campaigns for experts based on what we know works, which is basically presenting it in like an article format. And so that enables us to be so much more positioned to succeed. And I tell people this all the time, like I'm a people pleaser. I, I don't know how these PR firms like take these retainers and live with themselves when they know they're never going to get a placement. Like I just don't yeah. know how it happens. And a lot of PR firms use us to get their placements. Yeah. And so I just encourage people like, be cautious, ask for examples, ask for what, you know, these placements look like and, and require guarantees. And if they won't do it, there's gotta be a reason why. And they're going to kill me. Where does this air? Somebody is going to send me some massive hate mail, but I just think it needs to be talked about because it's unfair for a lot of people. I mean, what you're doing is, is being a disruptor in an industry, in an archaic, I mean, in a great and needed, but archaic industry. Like I've, I had experience with that, paying a lot of money for PR and they got me almost nothing. And I walked away and I was looking at their pitches and resending them once being like, Hey, so like, I think, can we like go this angle? And I'm like, um, what, like what do you yeah. recommend? Let's say it's someone who has a smaller name, but they, they have something good. They have some, let's say credibility, whatever it might be. Like, I guess it, the example I'll use is myself where, when I was living in London, I just started emailing news outlets with mm -hmm. pitches and, and daily mail. I wrote to them and I was like, hey, I, I sold 100,000 copies or whatever of this ebook 2014 back before like anyone was doing ebooks. And I mean, they, they ran with a funny story, but they, they did pick it up. So do you recommend mm -hmm. doing something like that? Or is that like they get so many emails that not worth it? You do. You get so many emails, but I will not I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. I've taken cold pitches before from people when they're really good. If it's really good content and then the expert's really good and you show me why you're really good, like it's visually appealing. They've done TV before and I can see a clip of them. We need content so badly. And I actually talk about strategies in my media training of how to reach these decision makers. And in some cases, it's as easy as going on LinkedIn and you can put in CBS News, Booker, and it will literally show you Amazing. the head Booker. It, it will. I mean, you can DM them. The key is don't waste that valuable information. Don't send them a press release. 
Do not send them an idea that's promoting you. Solve a problem for them. Hey, I wanted to give you a heads up. This story that's all over the news, which is happening right now, Supreme Court and ruling on the abortion bill, every news organization is covering this. So if you happen to be an expert in women's health and you have a position on it, email them a compelling headline, give them three or four talking points that will say to them, like, I need that thought leadership on my show and give them a clip to show them that you've been on TV before. If it's for digital, they won't care. Just show them your talking points. And I, I will tell you, I have taken those kinds of cold pitches before. I don't, I, I don't remember how many PR pitches I took, <laughs> yeah. but I have taken cold pitches from experts. I mean, I feel like that could also be so related to not just media and pitching to the director or the head booker or whatever it is, but like, I feel like that exact thing, what you just said could apply to trying to find a job or it's like, how am I? And I I remember I was recently interviewing for a new assistant and I asked them because we did a group interview and I asked all the girls that were there, how can you help me and my business because everything they were all saying was like, this is how great I am. And I'm like, I don't, yep. I don't care. Like care. I already saw I'm sure your, you're great. Yeah. I saw your resume, your CV. And it was interesting. It, it was like that click moment for me to realize like, that's such a key point that I feel like people don't yet realize it's how, how can you be of help of service to the person that you're talking to, to the audience. And maybe that's another little hack of, you know, if someone's giving a speech to anywhere, it's how can I be of service to the people listening? Maybe that takes you out of your head a little bit. A keynote coach really helped me with that, which PS, because I was terrible at public speaking, I hired a keynote coach and now I, I'm able to turn it into a superpower. So do not let your weaknesses stop you from doing something because it is possible to overcome it. But my keynote coach really trained me in this. And when you're presenting to people, you're not there to talk about yourself. You're there to educate and, and solve the problems they have, if that's how do I become more confident? How do I crush it in a media appearance? Whatever it is, what problem do you solve? It's the same in marketing, right? In our in business, what problem do you solve? I say, I take you from best kept secret to go-to media expert. Your problem is that nobody knows you. And, and the, once you become a go-to media expert, then everybody will know you. And so it's, think about that in your business. What is that transformation you make for people? Nikki, you do this. All, this is what your business is. You transform people's lives. And so think about that. If you're listening, what transformation do I serve my customers, my clients, and tell them that? <laughs> Communicate Amazing. it in some way, shape, or form. Honestly, the I, everything, every little gem. Like I'm gonna go back and listen to this and take my own notes because mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I'm learning so much about mm-hmm. everything from presenting on media to even just how I interact with my clients or if I'm speaking to on a discovery call, and I, I love it. I'd like to ask you though, as we were talking about confidence, and really all of this is confidence. It's deal with your feel fears build your confidence in various means, whether it's hiring a coach, doing media training with you. Now, news anchors are known for looking incredibly put together. You and I are both here looking, you know, well-dressed and hair and makeup done. But we're all a hot mess. (laughs) We're, We're underneath all a hot mess. But I am 
curious to know your thoughts on clothes and how it increases our confidence because there are some incredible studies that say when you are wearing an outfit that makes you feel confident, your capabilities for solving complex problems increase. And there's also another study that was done in Istanbul where the at a university, the teacher gave students t-shirts that had Superman on it. And they did this uh, multiple times over 2011 to 2014. And every single time the students overwhelmingly said that not only did just wearing that t-shirt with a Superman logo, whatever, make them feel more confident, but it also increased what they felt their physical abilities were, their strength. So I'd love to hear your take on the power of clothes and how it increases our confidence. Uh, I just love this because again, like this goes to the point of internal validation is where it's at. It's not external. It's when we believe it, then that's when we're confident. It's not when somebody tells us that we are great. It's when we believe it. Um, I always get the question, what should I wear? What should I wear? What should I wear? And I have the standard solid colors for TV always work. Find the right color for you. For me, it was gem tones, but find the color that really pops for you. Like that pink is like insanely perfect. It just pops on screen. But what is more important than of course, finding all of those little things is find what you feel you're best in. And you're story right there validates why I say that. I never had the words to understand why that was true. I just knew when I felt my best, I was then able to deliver my best. And reverse was true as well. When I was like eight and a half months pregnant and looked like Jabba the Hutt on television, I was not (laughs) delivering the news in the same way. And so work on where you can get to, to feel your best. And I guess that's really what you do in coaching as well, right? I mean, you're not there to, to get everyone to, to like seem pretty. It's to get people to feel their best because when they do, they can live the life that they want. And so if that's in clothes, if that's in like practice and what you do in exercise and what you eat and whatever it is, do what makes you feel the best. And that will translate to the screen and pretty much everything else in your life. I love it. And actually just going on that, there's a, another study I wanted to just quickly share. So Please, uh, it's a study in the University of Her- Hertfordshire where they they found that 62% of women, when they felt unhappy or depressed, they wore a baggy t-shirt or baggy clothes. And comparatively, that only 2% of those women would wear that same thing when they felt really good. And 57% of women, when they felt good, would wear a dress. And 6% of them would would wear something that they didn't. And even more amazingly, when they, they did kind of further follow up with that, and they found that women who wore jeans, it actually came across, even though you might be wearing like the most fabulous jeans, it actually came across to the users, to the other women that the the other person didn't make an effort with their appearance. And so what they found was that, yeah, what they found was that the, the number one item that made a woman feel confident. And if you think about that statistic, right, only 6% of those women wore the, or sorry, 2% of the women wore the baggy, the baggy t-shirt when they felt happy. 
the number one thing was that they wore a dress. So it didn't ever mention the size, but it was a form-fitting dress to whatever size you were in a colorful color that was a nice fabric. And I'm like, it's so interesting. And why I wanted to bring that up is because, you know, working on the news, the the female co-anchors are always impeccably dressed, but oftentimes you see they are in dresses. So there is something to be said about, I think, one of the quickest ways to hack your confidence, especially if you're going into a meeting or going on a date or put on the dress. Yeah. Put on the dress and not the baggy dress. <laughs> Even though I just came off of a weekend, my husband and I got to get away for like the first time in four years, just the two of us. And it was like day drinking and eating whatever and ice cream and cookies. Amazing. And I'm like, I put on this huge dress this morning that was so flowy. And I was like, oh, now I have the podcast. I have to put something else on. <laughs> but it's so true when you are just feeling like, you you dress like that and it it's so funny to hear that it really is validated with these studies and just put the dress on like present the way you want to be seen yes i use actually not sponsored but i use rent the runway as a news anchor we had to have different dresses all the time and you don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on a new wardrobe you, you know, you you can find ways to really look amazing so that you feel amazing too. I love it. And that's, it, you know, it really is like such a confidence hack that if you're going out on stage or you, you're doing something out of that comfort zone is instead of thinking, you know, if Bob is talking or it is talking, <laughs> it's like, okay, Bob, I hear you. I'm going to put on something, a dress right now, feel good. And your confidence, I mean, I have so many studies on this topic and the placebo effect, but it really mm. is, I think, one of the biggest hacks for anything you're trying to do that's stepping out of your comfort zone and anything you want to be seen as better than maybe you are. So last question is I would love to end with, I guess, what would your top three tips be? on how people can live a sharper life, according to the expert, Lynn Smith. <laughs> be still in fear. Let it just be. Don't fight it. So often people are just like punching it in the face and what, running away from it. And then you have to just sit in it. And, and it's there's no shortcut to that. The second thing would be be yourself. <laughs> when I was transitioning from being a producer to being on air, I asked, you know, one of the biggest news anchors in the world, <laughs> I sat down and I said, what is your one piece of advice? And he said, just be yourself. And I was like, nothing else. Like, what? He's like, nope. It's, that's what's going to separate you from everybody else. And so I now have something I say to every single client, it's be yourself. It's the only thing in your life in which you will have zero competition. The only thing. Love it. And so it's so incredibly powerful. And then the third thing would be, be kind. There are, speaking of studies, studies by the Mayo Clinic that when you are kind, you literally have a physical reaction in your body that increases your confidence and you feel better about yourself because you've made somebody else feel better about themselves. And I think about that all the time, and I'm trying to teach it to my children as well, of just how impactful kindness is. And whether that's paying for someone's groceries one day at the grocery store, if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that. And 
to just opening the door and having a conversation with somebody who's older and maybe lonely because they don't, you know, have as many people around them that are vibrant and young. So that kindness piece, I want to leave you with, because if we look at confidence as so singular, like something that is just, just us, I think that it's so short-sighted because if we look at it as something we can spread to other people and impact other people with, think about how much better the world would be if we all lived our life in that way. If we were all looking to uh, increase somebody's confidence and not just increase our own confidence, I think that it's something that both of us can benefit from. I love it. Absolutely incredible interview, chat, conversation. I've learned personally so much. So Lynn, where can people find you? What would you like to have them do promote? Because honestly, everyone listening, go, go follow Lynn. I'll put all her details, (laughs) but you know, where can they find you and and what would you like to leave them with to do at at CTA? Well, you can go to my website, lynnsmithtv.com, where you'll see how to go from being best kept secret to go to media expert. I have a program called The Green Room, which is my media training, and it is a self-paced course. And then I get on the call and do mock interviews with you. But in my act of kindness, I want to offer anyone who's listening, if you want my ebook, Confidence Quotient, um, just email me and I would love to send that to you for free and see how it just works to not just increase your confidence, but maybe it'll increase somebody else's as well. So you can email me at lynn at lynnsmithtv.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Lynn. And until next week, here's to a sharper life. 